Hello, everyone. Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. This is another one of our Beat Writer Roundtable episodes. And on this episode, we'll be talking to all of our beat writers in the NFC East. I am Michael Beller, and I am ready to get this thing rolling. So let's start at what maybe will be the top of the NFC East this season, the Dallas Cowboys. To do that, we bring on John Machoda, our Cowboys beat writer. John, what's going on today? Not much, man. About a week out from going to California for training camp, so there's not really any offseason with this team. No, there isn't, and we were joking before we got going here, you're going to have some extra cameras on hand with Hard Knocks uh, being with the Cowboys for the third time, is that right? That It's been 15 years and three times have been with the Cowboys, so that should be, uh, it'll be a little bit more fun for you there. Oh, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> hey, I, I just look at the way that they played last year, and I think of them going this offseason and needing the least amount of distractions as possible. So yeah, this is great. This is exactly what you do for that. This will be this will be perfect. This there's no way that anything bad could happen from this. Uh, not a chance, not a chance at all. You love those HBO cameras in there when you're trying to get things back <laughs> on track. Uh, let's start in the backfield here. Uh, we know Ezekiel Elliott still very much in control of this backfield, and early fantasy drafts are reflecting that as well. You're seeing him go with the seventh pick and typical draft sandwich in between uh, Jonathan Taylor ahead of him, Nick Chubb behind him, and he'll probably end up somewhere around there. We know Tony Pollard is a legitimate player, though, in this backfield. So my question for you is, we know Zeke's on top of the depth chart incredibly comfortably, but is it the same ownership share that we're used to seeing from Deke, or could Tony Pollard eat into that a little bit this season? It's tough to say right now just because Zeke did look really good in OTAs and minicamp. Looked in shape. I mean, the way he was cutting, I mean, he just looked real fresh. And, of course, that could change three, four weeks into the season. Um, it would have been easier for me to say, yeah, look for mo- more from Tony Pollard. If Zeke would have come in and maybe a little bit overweight, didn't really look that good. And you're kind of like, you know what, maybe his best years are behind him, but he looked really good. And then the other fact of it is that, you know, you get back Tyron Smith and Zach Martin, Lyle Collins, all healthy, Dak Prescott, obviously all that stuff's going to help the running game. And so, you know, Kellen Moore has been committed to Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, Mike McCarthy's committed to Ezekiel Elliott. I, I just... If, as long as he's healthy and doing his thing, I just don't see a lot of opportunities for Tony Pollard because Zeke's going to be out there. They, they'll they use him in the passing game. It's not like he has to come off the field on certain downs or certain packages. So if he's healthy and everything's going well, then, you know, Zeke's their guy. Now, maybe you still want to, you know, get Tony Pollard as, as the handcuff because I will say this, if Zeke was to go down or started dropping off for whatever reason, Tony Pollard has shown that if he gets the bulk of the carries that he should be able to, he should be one of the top fantasy backs, even if you don't like him as a player, just because of the fact of what offense he's going to be in. And the, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that the Cowboys are going to win 11, 12 games. I mean, they still have a defense that has a lot of holes, a lot of question marks. It lacks playmakers, but on offense, there's tons of playmakers. And so if you're the starting back in this offense, you're in great shape. But as of right now, I, I still see Ezekiel Elliott getting the bulk of the carries, getting the bulk of the workload think that Tony Pollard, safe to say, probably the most important handcuff, one of the few guys that you should be going after as a handcuff on draft day if you end up with the starter in his situation. Let's move over to the uh, receiving core. We're going to talk about a, the, a few of these guys here, but Amari Cooper going into training camp with a, a little bit of an ankle issue, starting to raise some maybe minor red flags in the fantasy world. What can you tell us right now, uh, knowing that you're still two weeks away from the start of training camp? Yeah, I don't think it's anything serious to the fact of like where this is going to affect regular season games. But I do think when we go to training camp, 
I could see him that first few days, maybe the first week where he works a little bit more off to the side with athletic trainers. And that's for a combination of things. Part one is that he had the surgery in January and that they want to take all the precautions. The other is that he's a veteran that they're going to trust. They're going to allow him to, hey, work in when you need to. We know that you don't even have to do anything during training camp. And we know what we got in week one. I mean, he's walks in, he's a thousand yards, you know, Mm -hmm. so I could see them really taking it easy with him. I mean, you have Michael Gallup, you have CD Lamb. You know, they t- they draft Semi Fihoku, who I could see getting some you know run behind some of those guys. Cedric Wilson's another guy that they like, uh, and then even in, in mentioning Tony Pollard earlier, we saw some in this off season of him working in some of that slot receiver, putting putting him out wide because he did have experience doing that at Memphis. He is a good pass catcher. So there's other guys that they can work in the offense. You're getting Blake Jarwin back, Dalton Schultz, their other tight end, really emerged last year, you know, exceeded what my expectations and most expectations were uh, for him. And so because of that, I think that they're going to certainly err on the side of caution with Amari Cooper. There's just no reason. He doesn't need to play in the preseason. He doesn't need these training camp reps if he's not 100%. It's it's all about week one for him, and it'll be all about week one for any other player on their team that's dealing with even a, a minor injury. Fantasy football world is understandably, understandably, excuse me, focused on what the uh, Cowboys did in those first five games of last season. That's because it was, those were the five games that Dak Prescott played. And if you look at the wide receiver trio, you have just two monster thirds from Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. Amari Cooper goes 39 catches on 55 targets, 424 yards in a score. CeeDee Lamb, 29 catches, 40 targets, 433 yards, two touchdowns. Then you take a big step down and you find Michael Gallup, who had just 17 catches and 28 targets, was able to turn that into 348 yards and found the end zone once. So it was clearly Cooper and Gall or Cooper and Lamb up here, and then a step down and Michael Gallup in terms of target share. Should we have similar expectations for this season? Yeah, I think so. I, I, the only thing I, I might change there is I could see Ceedee Lamb being their leading receiver this year, and one of the reasons why is that. Just the personalities of Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, they're just not the type of guys that are going to be upset and complaining after games if they don't get looks, you know, and that's not always the case with the wide receiver position, but they're a perfect fit for CeeDee Lamb, and I don't see CeeDee Lamb being upset. I mean, there were games last year where he probably didn't get as many touches as he would have wanted, and, you know, I mean, they're all team guys. I just think that CeeDee Lamb has only scratched the surface. I think he would have had... Um, certainly over a thousand yards last year if Dak Prescott doesn't get hurt. You know, that's the thing with CeeDee Lamb. It's every year. It's like the guy just, he always has a different quarterback, whether when he was at Oklahoma, it was a different quarterback <laughs> every year. His rookie year, he has four different starters. And so if you could have had him have the rapport that he could have built up over 16 games with Dak Prescott, I think you would have seen an even better receiver because I frankly, I just don't see a weakness in his game. I mean, he plays in the slot because they have Gallup and Amari Cooper, but he certainly can win on the outside. And he certainly can go down the field and make leaping grabs in traffic. And he certainly has the quick shiftiness to get open on the inside. And then he has the strength, which kind of is, I don't know, it's kind of underrated with him because he looks kind of thin wearing the 88, but like he's a tough dude to bring down. I mean, he's a strong guy. He can break tackles. Like there just isn't, I can't think of many weaknesses if there are any in his game. And I just think that uh, the sky's the limit with him. I just think that there's some really big years uh, for him ahead. 
playing to a 100-catch, 1,400-yard pace in those five games with Dak last season. So very excited for him, and not a surprise we're seeing him climb up draft boards going just outside the wide receiver one class thus far. Something we've always loved about Dak Prescott, John, is the fact that he's always been very friendly to the fantasy world with his legs. But given the nature of that injury he had a season ago, could he run less often this year? Yeah, it's certainly possible. You know, that's the one thing that's missing right now from everything we've seen this offseason. You know, anytime I do any type of radio interview, TV interview, they always want to, you know, what did Dak look like? Well, Dak mm-hmm. looked the same in OTAs and minicamp as he has the last four years. You know, I mean, there was nothing there that, you know, unless you just wanted to try and come up and create some type of a story of, ah, it looked like he was, you know, a little <laughs> hesitant here. But just to the naked eye, he he didn't look any different. He did not look like he suffered that nasty ankle injury in week five. It did not look like it, but he also wasn't being tackled. And so that's the next part for him. And that's not going to happen in training camp. And it might not happen in the preseason because I don't think he's going to get a ton of work there. So that might not happen until week one. And certainly not just the scrambles to gain yards, but the scrambles to extend plays are huge for him. I mean, those have been some of the best plays of his career have, have happened when something is broken down and he's scrambled to buy some time, find a guy down the field. And so that's going to be there because it has to, because he won't be effective if it isn't there. I just don't see him making the leap from all of a sudden using that. And then all of a sudden he just becomes this guy where you see him throwing the ball away when something's not there that he doesn't like. That might happen later in his career, but where he's at right now, I don't see that happening. So I I, I believe he's going to still use his legs. Now, in terms of rushes to gain yards, yeah, maybe that's only a couple times a game. And, and maybe that's even reserved for only in the red zone, you know, for certain situations. I think that gets dialed back a little bit. But he's a mobile quarterback. He's going to need to be mobile to to be at his ultimate best and, and to come close to, you know, keeping going what he had those first five games last season. Obviously, that pace he was on was just ridiculous. Um, and with these weapons, obviously, he could come close to doing those numbers again if he stays healthy. But the key thing is he has to stay healthy. And so because of that, yeah, I could see him running a little bit less. Comfortably considered a top five quarterback, even with these mild rushing concerns, along with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Kyler Murray. Uh, John, if Blake Jarwin was on almost any other team, I think we'd be really excited about him in the fantasy world. But this is the team he's on. He's got to deal with a very high volume running back in Ezekiel Elliott. Two wide receiver ones in Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb, a very capable number three in Michael Gallup. So what's a realistic look at his target share? It's it's really tough with Blake Jarwin and Dalton Schultz because, and you can even, I, I even feel like you could lump Michael Gallup into this category too, if Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb are healthy all season. And that's the category of, they're going to be, they're going to be a pain for some fantasy owners because <laughs> what's going to happen is there's going to be weeks where all of a sudden Michael Gallup has two touchdowns in 150 yards, but then there's going to be a week or two after that where he only has 50 yards. And I just see the same thing with Schultz and Jarwin. Like, I think there's going to be some weeks where Schultz might have, you know, a hundred yards and maybe a touchdown. And then there's gonna be other weeks where he has 15 yards, you know, and vice versa. So if there was just one, if there was just Dalton Schultz or there was just Blake Jarwin, I think that both would be a solid fantasy tight end if there was only the one, but because Dalton Schultz emerged the way he did last year, you're almost sitting there thinking, man, if these guys are healthy all throughout the season, I, I see Kellen Moore finding ways to get both those tight ends on the field to kind of mix things up, uh, maybe t- more 12 personnel, things like that. But at the end of the day, I still I feel like if 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 you're projecting on what I how I think the season goes, I think CeeDee Lamb's their top receiver, Amari's two, Gallup's three, and I don't think any of those tight ends get into that that category. And then there's a drop off b- below them 
But don't get me wrong. I mean, Blake Jarwin has had a three-touchdown game in his career. Those are certainly possible. The problem is, though, is from week to week, are you going to count on that and have that guy in your lineup and, and be worried about, well, I might only get 10 yards, too. I might only get one target for this guy. So that's what's going to be tough about them. So um, they're almost in a way, you know, because obviously you're not going to probably have to draft either one early. You probably want to get the other one if you can later on. And so if one of them goes down, then all of a sudden, then you have like a, a guy that probably could be put up numbers to a really good number one tight end just because of the numbers that this offense should put up in the passing game. Yeah, so luxury for the Cowboys, a little bit of a headache in the fantasy world. Uh, John, as I said, two weeks from now, you'll be at Cowboys camp. What's the one thing that you're most interested in seeing, watching, looking for uh, when you're looking at this team at the start of camp? Yeah, it doesn't really help much with fantasy, but it's really, it's just the defense. Right. They, just, they just need playmakers on defense. And that's why it's like, you know, you sit there with this team and, and a lot of people wonder like, so who's going to be the starting linebackers? Because you got Leighton Van Der Esch now back healthy and Jalen Smith, Keanu Neal. They draft Micah Parsons. They draft Jabril Cox. I just don't think they're going to be able to keep Micah Parsons off the field, even from week one, just because they need playmakers. So I almost think you're to the point on defense where you're going to risk a little bit of the, yeah, he's a rookie. There's going to be some mistakes, but also because he has that freak athletic ability, you're like, well, we're going to take the good with the bad. We're going to put this guy out there. So it's really just finding defensive playmakers, you know, and we probably, you know, as beat writers overrate it when we see like an interception in, in training camp, you know, I, I'm, there's been years in the past where guys have had three, four picks and uh, training camp. Xavier Woods has been a guy that's happened to. And then during the season, you just, it didn't translate over. And so, uh, it's really defensive playmakers. That's the number one thing. If 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 they have any guys that emerge there, I think the offense takes care of itself. You know, and then on offense, I would just say health. You know, can can you get can you get to week one with that starting offensive line intact? And then does that starting offensive line stay intact all season? Because the way the schedule panned out for them, you know, I believe this division comes down to Dallas and Washington, and both their games against Washington are late in the season. And obviously Washington's greatest strength is their is their pass rush. And it's like you need Zach Martin and Lyle Collins and Tyron Smith to be out there when they play them twice in, in less than a month. And so uh, that's going to be the key thing for this offense because there's plenty of, of playmakers that if a guy gets you know hurt and misses a couple games, whether it be at wide receiver, tight end, even at running back, they got guys that can, that can step up and, and, and kind of, you know, keep the boat going. But if they lose some of those key offensive linemen, they're going to be in trouble. Last question here for you, John. BetMGM has this team installed with a win total over under of nine and a half, both the over and the under sitting at minus 110. What do you think? 10 and seven or better? Or is this team looking like maybe another disappointing season? Yeah, if I was setting the over under, I would be I'd be real close. I'd have it at ten. I, that's every time we've done since the schedule came out, a, a, any type of breakdown, I've always had them at ten wins. Uh, could possibly see them getting to eleven, but you know, I, I'm just not one of these guys that looks at. The, there's just so much parity in the NFL. I don't look at oh, the Cowboys were awful last year, so they have this easier schedule just going by what teams mm-hmm. were last year. I just there's not a ton of there's not a ton of teams out there where I'm just like, well, that's an automatic win. And so they got to take care of their division and that is, it's going to be the weakest division in football again in the NFC. So they should be able to do that, even though they didn't last year, but with Dak Prescott back and all those offensive weapons around him, they should be able to take care of the East. And if you do that, I I do think 10 wins gets it done there. 
Um, but yeah, you know, I know, man, when the schedule came out, Cowboys fans were just like, oh, this is 11, 12, maybe 13 wins. And I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> let's, let's pump the brakes on this coming off of six wins last year. So yeah, if I was betting on this, I would, I'd take the over, I, I think 10 or 11 wins. You know, not only do I think it's possible, it, it should be expectation. I mean, that's why they brought in Mike McCarthy. You know, if they wanted to sit there and do somewhat of a rebuild and change some things around, they could have went with a college coach. The reason they got rid of Jason Garrett and brought in a, a proven veteran coach and Mike McCarthy is because he had won a Super Bowl. And it was to, you know, Jason Garrett had made the playoffs. It was, but they weren't winning in the playoffs. And that's what this team has to do now. So, yeah, the expectation should be to win, get double digit wins. It's a team that a lot of us are expecting a bounce back from in the real world and definitely a team we are excited about in the fantasy world with all of this top end talent. John Machota, our Cowboys beat writer. Thanks again for joining us here today. No problem. Anytime. Here with our NFC East beat writers, next up, the defending champions in this division, the Washington football team, Ben Standig, our beat writer out in D.C. Ben, thanks for joining us today. I am really looking forward to talking about this team. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It still sounds weird when people refer to Washington as the defending NFC East champions because <laughs> it's just hard to believe that, that that year. But hey, somebody had to win it and they did. Hey, there you go. And I don't know. I think there's reason to be excited about this team uh, this year, I think both for real life and fantasy purposes. We're concerned about the fantasy purposes here and the guy we are most concerned with, or I guess there are two guys we're most concerned with. But let's start in the backfield with Antonio Gibson. It was an excellent year last year. But in the fantasy world, what we're most focused on to start the season is his role in the passing game. J.D. McKissick had a great year for Washington as a receiver. 110 targets, caught 80 of them for nearly 600 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Antonio Gibson did well with his opportunities. 44 targets, caught 36 for 247 yards. Is there any chance he gets a larger share of the passing game this season? Yeah, I, I think I think there is. I mean, there's a few things to consider. One, you know, you had Alex Smith and Dwayne Haskins starting most of the games at quarterback last year. And for different reasons, both of them were not necessarily throwing the ball off the field a, a ton. And that led to a lot more J.D. McKissick and also Antonio Gibson. You know, he was really a receiver in college and was transitioning to running back. So especially early on, he was having to really kind of learn the you know the nuances of just being a running back and McKissick had um, you know was a little a little more experienced a good pass catcher and I think that leaned on him but I think Gibson we saw as the year progressed has really improved and and he can do so much including catch the pass and just based on look he, he, uh, things like OTAs and minicamp you got to take with a grain of salt but it looked like a guy who's going to be more involved in the passing game and I just think he's a, a big time game breaking threat um, obviously the touchdowns we'll, we'll see but in terms of the, the passing game and the rushing I think I, I really expect a lot from him this year. Yeah, fantasy uh, managers are right there with you. Early drafts, you and I are sitting here in the middle of July talking about this, so we're still in the early draft season, but in those early drafts, he's being treated as pretty comfortably a top 15 running back, and a lot of that's got to do with volume. He had 206 touches last year in the 14 games played, just the 10 starts, and as you said, was still sort of learning the position on the fly. So, what, 200, 206, uh, 10 starts, 14 games, you know, maybe we're looking at somewhere in the what, 17 to 20 touch per game range last year is that where he lives this year you think maybe that bumps up a little bit um maybe it bumps up a little bit like it's tricky right there's a lot of different pieces on this offense they added Curtis Samuel you know last year mm -hmm. part of the reason why McKissick had so many catches is they really didn't have much of a second receiver opposite Terry McLaurin um and Logan Thomas it was a, became a thing at tight end but that's a second and third receiver spots were you know kind of inconsistent at best 
throughout the year. Now you have Samuel. They even had um, they draft Deami Brown in the third round. They, they signed Adam Humphrey. So they should have more receivers there. And I guess my point is, look, obviously you know, a game flow goes a lot with running back touches. You know, if they're winning in the second half of games and the running back in theory will, will get more touches. But yeah, I, I think if whatever the number he was last year, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it gets bumped up a bit. Um, Again, maybe it means a little bit less J.D. McKissick. Um, but I just think Gibson's just too important of a piece for them to not want to lean on. Yeah, Antonio Gibson potentially taking a step forward. That's part one to why this is an interesting offense in the fantasy world. Part two is that new look pass catching group. Terry McLaurin, we know right at the top, love the signing of Curtis Samuel and then Logan Thomas emerging part of the way through the season last year. Is it as simple as that? Is it as simple as saying McLaurin, the easy number one for targets, Samuel, the easy number two, Thomas, the easy number three with a major role in the passing game? Yeah, I, I think so. I guess maybe that two and three, um, ha- that order could be a little bit different depending on Ryan Fitzpatrick's personal whims, I guess, to, to a degree. But yeah, I mean, McLaurin, I mean, it's really quite insane. Can look, uh, look at the stats he's put up his first two years. Now consider, like I said, last year, the best receiver he had opposite him, wide receiver, was Cam Sims. His quarterbacks last year were Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, and Alex Smith, you know, a Alex Smith was game to play, but obviously he was limited with what he could do. And the year before that, he had Case Keenum and Colt McCoy with Haskins. So, like, he's had an incredibly limited uh, help around him, and yet he's shown so much. He's got the speed. He's a crisp route runner. Uh, he plays tough. Like, he, um, I, you know, I expect a lot. Like, the only – sort of with Gibson, though. Only question is they have now more, more pieces. So does that – on the one hand, maybe he's a better – player but it's possible he doesn't have a huge bump up in like targets just because you have other other pieces but again at least at a minimum with Fitzpatrick his willingness to throw the ball down the field I think that should lead to more big plays for McLaurin so even if like the targets aren't like substantially more I just think at a minimum he probably gets more out of the the targets that he gets yeah, it's funny that you've got Terry McLaurin and Allen Robinson right by each other in ADP. They can't get away from each other, and these are the two guys who have made so much out of having such bad quarterback situations, and now both of them probably in the best quarterback situations in their career. McLaurin here with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, and uh, Allen Robinson in Chicago with certainly Justin Fields probably sooner rather than later, maybe a little bit of Andy Dalton at the start of the season. Uh, Curtis Samuel, look at all these OSU guys we're talking about here. McLaurin, Samuel, Justin Fields. Curtis Samuel, uh, one of the most interesting players, I think, in the league. And you look at what he did last year in Carolina. 97 targets, caught 77 of them. That team also gave him 41 carries that he turned to 200 yards and two touchdowns. Should we expect Washington to use him in a similar way this season? So it's interesting, right? This coaching staff had Curtis Samuel at Carolina. They played him more snaps than the coaching staff did last year, but were, but he was used in different ways. He got more uh, m- more work last year, um, including as a runner, than the group previously did. Now, I, I, when they brought Samuel on board, it seemed to be some acknowledgement that they saw how another coaching staff used him and – we're going to take some notes and, and plan accordingly. And, and and therefore I'll imagine we'll see Samuel out of the backfield some, but at the same point, they also do what they do. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, the, the fact that they signed Adam Humphreys 
to be essentially the slot receiver says they're going to play Curtis Samuel out outside a decent amount. I'm sure he'll play all over the place, but I originally thought maybe they were bringing him in to be the slot guy and have somebody else on the outside instead he'll be outside. So um, he'll move around a lot. I'm sure I, I just thought, you know, I'll be curious to see if they really do incorporate the, 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 the backfield touches to the degree that the coaching staff did last year, or if they fall back a bit more onto their own, I'm, I'm sort of caught in the middle of that, but either way, Curtis Samuel should be a pretty busy guy uh, for this offense. Yeah, all these guys just super, super draftable, and no one really is pushing them too high up. They all feel very affordable. Gibson, McLaurin, Samuel, Logan Thomas right in there as well. And then there's Ryan Fitzpatrick, the guy who is uh, who is tasked with making it all go. Uh, we know this team has had some serious quarterback issues for a while now. What's the Fitz effect on the offense? Well, again, I mean, the offense was pretty miserable last year. I mean, it was weird, right? You had a few individual pieces, McLaurin, Thomas, Gibson, that for fantasy owners, pretty good. But as a whole, the offense was pretty, pretty lame in large part because like, you know, they just couldn't make any big plays. I mean, I think that should be different this year because Fitzpatrick, you know, is the quintessential gunslinger. Of course, we also know with with the Fitzmagic journey, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, it's going to be kind of all over the place. Um, I, I just think for this offense, his presence, you know, at a bare minimum, it should be better at quarterback than what they were getting last year, whether that's good enough to be good as a team. I don't know. We'll see. But, you know, from a fantasy perspective, you know, I don't think anybody should be looking at these other players and thinking, boy, I wish they only had somebody who would throw the ball up the field to them. I don't think that's going to be the issue, I guess, turnovers could be a problem if 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 the interceptions get out of hand, then that's obviously going to hurt the offense. But I I think Fitzpatrick, again, I think we perhaps we've all gotten a little carried away with the idea that he could be a guy who takes them up another level. But at the same time, compared to what they had last year, quarterback, he absolutely should be able to do that just from a production standpoint. You're definitely sustaining a strong foundation for the fantasy guys that we're counting on in this Washington offense. You referenced Diami Brown, uh, a draft pick for Washington this season. Can you make a deep sleeper case for him going into the year? Yes and no. I think from a talent standpoint, yes. I, I have a story up on The Athletic right now. I talked to a, a prominent NFL scout about some of Washington's rookies, and he was saying that he loved – uh, Deami Brown that he had him compared to, to Rashad Bateman coming out of the draft uh, the Ravens first round pick and uh, there's just a lot to like it's, uh, some McLaurin comparisons I think it, it, to, to a degree the problem from a fantasy perspective at least in a in a redraft league is I, I don't know I can't sit here and say he's definitely the third guy again you have Adam Humphreys Cam Sims you know really kind of came on it at, at late last season had over 100 yards in the playoff uh, game against Tampa Bay. Um, they also have Antonio Gandy-Golden, who whose rookie year was wiped out basically by injuries, but he's a mix. And there's even a few other guys that I don't know if they make the roster, but if they did, um, Steven Sims, Kelvin Harmon could at least be, you know, uh, bi-week pickup type guys, maybe. Um, so that's my only thing with Brown is I really like him, but it's hard to definitively say that there's a, there's a steady enough role for him this year uh, to, to play. If you tell me he emerges as the, op, the starting receiver opposite McLaurin, with Samuel moving inside a little bit more, sure, that really wouldn't surprise me. But it just, I can't. It would be hard for me to to peg that because they just do have a lot of other guys uh, as well. All right, we're about ten days, two weeks away from the start of training camp. What is the one thing, if you could only highlight one, that you're most interested in going into this team's camp? Well, I mean, if. I guess ultimately it's going to be, it's sort of boring to say the quarterback, but I think it's going to be the quarterback. I mean, Ron Rivera keeps saying 
Um, he wanted to have a real quarterback competition. He didn't have one last year with Dwayne Haskins and Kyle Allen because, you know, with COVID and the pandemic, they were limited with time. So they just gave the job to Haskins and obviously that didn't work out. He's, he's, he's said he's going to not do that again. He's going to have a quarterback competition. I don't think a lot of us believe that. I think it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke. Um, that those would be the two guys. Fitzpatrick obviously has just way more experience. And for Heineke, you know, I get it. It's, there's some intrigue, but he's only played essentially five quarters with this team. Um, and the, the four of those were against Tampa Bay in the playoffs. And he looked pretty good. So I guess too, it's not so much of my intrigue that there will be a competition. Again, I don't totally buy it, but I am just sort of intrigued by what they get out of this position because, you know, again, Fitzpatrick, it's an interesting journey, but it doesn't always lead to wins and Heineke is completely unproven. And, you know, if, if these things don't work out, then we'll be spending, you know, a good part of the season if, and all the off season about, Hey, they still need to get a quarterback. So, you know, uh, obviously Fitzpatrick's 38. So it's not like he's the long-term answer, but you know, could he be the guy this year, or next year, maybe, but that's, that's what we need to see. It's his career doesn't suggest that's definitely the case, but at the same point, he's played pretty well the last couple of years. And, you know, to me, he should be getting that job, but we'll see if he if he can do that or if Heineke does somehow uh, pu- you know, push his way uh, in, into getting a, a longer look. Washington, I believe, is the only team that does not have the highest over-under among division winners in its division coming into this season. BetMGM has them sitting at 8.5. Uh, Dallas actually has a higher win total over-under than Washington. So, Ben... Put me on the spot here for a sec. Which way are you going over the eight and a half or under the eight and a half? Wow, that is tough. I mean, look, it, it's not it's it's not always wise to base anything ba- uh, against the schedule because who knows what will happen, especially when you get later in the year. But wow, Washington's schedule, very tough. Obviously, the first place schedule, the 17th game they, they, they added was at Buffalo. There's a stretch, I think, in in one month period, they, they play – in some order, Mahomes, Rodgers, and Brady, um, and, and you know they they just have quarterbacks up and down, up and down the world. Like I said, though, I mean they, there's reason to be optimistic. We didn't talk about their defense so much, but obviously they have the they have the pieces to be a pretty a pretty strong defensive front. Maybe even one for fantasy owners to, to get excited about. Um, but oh, yeah. man, it's like right there at that number. I mean, I. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll be an optimistic fellow today and go over. But like I said, (laughs) that schedule is really tough and you're banking. We're banking a lot on Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, really taking that offense up a notch. Yeah, it would be fun to see because if he does take it up a notch, then you have that great defense on the other side and you have these guys in Antonio Gibson, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas, who all could be really, really big time fantasy players should they get that lift from their quarterback thank you for the lift ben standig our washington football team beat reporter here at the athletic hey thanks for having me next up in the nfc east is the philadelphia eagles and to talk eagles we bring on one of our eagles beat writers here at the athletic zach berman zach a lot of fun things to talk about with this team jalen hurts uh getting a year as the starting quarterback miles sanders hoping for a bounce back there i think we at least up front though have to address this team's massive O-line issues from a season ago. A lot of that was tied up in injuries. So can we just sort of get that out there so we can talk about all the fun stuff, how this team is going to address those those O-line issues it had a season ago this season? Well, they're going to hope that all pro players are healthy, right? Like that's that's the key. When you look at it on, on paper, they're relying on players who are proven to be among the best in the NFL at their positions, but they're over 30 and they have injury histories. Lane Johnson, 
is an example. Brandon Brooks at right guard might be the best right guard in the league, but is, is coming off a torn Achilles tendon and didn't play all year last year. Uh, Jason Kelsey has has not been injured, but he's obviously he's he's entering year twelve of his career or year eleven of his, of his career. Uh, and, and and Isaac Samalo, their left guard, coming off season-ending injury, and then and, and left tackle where Jason Peters isn't back for the first time in a long time. Here, Andre Dillard was supposed to be the starter last year, season-ending injury. You you notice the trend? Uh, they had Jordan Mailata step in, and he played well. So Mailata and then Dillard are competing at left tackle. That's really the only competition. Otherwise, they have four entrenched starters, and the question there is age and injury. If those guys stay healthy, their offensive line will be as good as there is in the NFL, and for that reason, I I think there will be a lot more optimism about the offense than there might be otherwise. Got to believe that that injury luck at least is going to somewhat even out for them this season. Among the big changes in Philadelphia, of course, also a new head coach, Nick Sirianni, getting his first chance to run a show. What are our expectations for a Nick Sirianni offense? It's a little too soon to say. Uh, you know, I, I know he's coming from that Colts offense and him and Frank Reich put that offense together. And, and so you can look at the Colts and try to take clues. But the personnel is different, and and frankly, when you look at the Colts' offense, they had three different types of quarterbacks over the three years Sirianni was there, and and so now the Eagles are going to have to build an offense for Jalen Hurts. I think what you can expect, though, from a fantasy perspective, is more eleven personnel than what the Eagles have played in the past. So they've been more of a twelve personnel team, and that's been because they've had Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. I'm not expecting Zach Ertz to be on the team this year. Uh, The Eagles drafted Devontae Smith in the first round. Devontae Smith is going to be a focal point in this offense. So I think you'll see more wide receivers on the field, and that will obviously change the spacing of the offense. So I would say expect more 11 personnel. Uh, Expect an offense that's – from from their perspective, they're going to try to tailor it to Jalen Hurts to an extent, uh, but there's still a lot to be determined about what it's going to look like. Yeah, we'll get to those pass catchers in a second, but we've gone long enough, like two and a half, three minutes without talking about Jalen Hurts himself. Of course, that's the guy who is front and center in the fantasy world. Jalen Hurts last year got four starts, and in those four starts, ran for 272 yards and three touchdowns on 46 carries. It's the running, more than anything, that is pushing him into the top 10 among quarterbacks in fantasy drafts. If you just take that four-game sample, extrapolate it over 17 games, you get 195 uh, carries, 1,156 yards on the ground, and 12 touchdowns. That's a lot to ask, but that's also something that we've seen from Lamar Jackson, maybe not quite the touchdowns, but the carry numbers in the yards over the last couple of seasons. Can Jalen Hurts have a Lamar-style season running the ball? And I guess maybe the more accurate question, the more apt question to ask is, will the Eagles ask him to have a Lamar Jackson-style season running the ball? I frankly think it's it's too ambitious to have a, a Lamar Jackson-style season. Lamar Jackson's year two, so his first four years as starter, he was the league MVP, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I think it's – it's I, I don't know if Jalen Hurts is that level of player – but I think from a fantasy perspective, you can absolutely expect uh, yards on the ground, like him him being a big-time running threat. It's within his skill set. It would behoove the Eagles to utilize that in this offense. Um, he's, he's, he's going to have the opportunity. I mean, I, I don't think Joe Flacco or Nick Mullins are, are going to beat him out for the job. So, yeah, so I, I, I certainly think there's reasons to be optimistic that from a fantasy perspective – He's 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 going to have a big season running the ball. 
I just think if if your comp is Lamar Jackson, that's too ambitious. Yeah, we see the uh, running quarterbacks or quarterbacks who also run dominating the top 10 in early drafts right now. You still do have Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady in there. Justin Herbert, not quite the runner that the rest of the guys are, but everyone else inside that top 10, we're going to see running the ball quite a bit. And Jalen Hurts right up there, maybe not quite all the way up there with Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray, but from a pure running perspective, maybe just a step behind those guys. Of course, you can't do it all on the ground. We're going to have to see some steps forward with him throwing the football. What are you looking for from Jalen Hurts to see him take the next step as a thrower? That completion percentage needs to go up, you know, and it's 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 that simple. He needs to complete more passes. He needs to be a more efficient passer. I, I, I think that he showed some promise as a passer, but that's the big question. That's why he was a second round pick and not the number one overall pick like Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield were coming out of that Oklahoma offenses the year before uh, or the two years before rather. So uh, I think that that completion percentage, it, it, it needs to at least be in the high fifties, pushing into, into the sixties. Um, th- that would be the first place I would look. Uh, and it, if he does that, then really, I mean, Jalen Hurts, from a fantasy perspective and from a football perspective, mm-hmm. it's going to look good. If if he's inconsistent as a passer, uh, then there are going to be more questions. And, and so that's really what I'm paying attention to is how efficient is he as a, as a quarterback. Yeah, one thing that'll maybe help his efficiency is the weapons around him being improved this year from the what he had available to him in those four games as a starter. One of those weapons, one of those big weapons for him, maybe not throwing the ball to him a ton, but definitely someone who we're going to lean on a lot out of this offense is Miles Sanders. Boston Scott still in town for this team. Carrion Johnson brought in Kenneth Gainwell, a fifth round pick. So there's some competition for backfield touches, but obviously Miles Sanders very comfortably at the top of the depth chart. I'm most interested in Miles Sanders as a receiver. I think we can generally understand what he's going to do running the ball, but as a receiver, what sort of share of the passing game do you think he can secure? It's a fascinating question because he has that skill set, right? You, you you especially saw that as as a rookie and that's that's where he declined a year ago. And part of that it, there was a disconnect on passing the ball between Carson Wentz and Miles Sanders. So Perhaps that's something that gets sorted out this year. But when Eagles drafted Miles Sanders in the second round in, in, in 2019, they viewed him as a three-down back. Uh, and, and so they viewed him as someone who can certainly be a factor in the passing game. And, and like I said, he's shown that. The question in terms of the passing game share is do the Eagles use a Naheem Hines type back like Sirianni had in Indianapolis where there's a designated pass catcher where where it perhaps uh, – uh, uh, if, if, if you look at Gainwell, Kenny Gainwell is is that player. So if the Eagles view Sanders as that three down back, if they use him in that role, then he's going to have a big share of the passing game. If they bring Gainwell in to catch the ball, then I think that will go down. One of the most fascinating players, I think, in fantasy world this season, because right now as we're sitting here in early ADP, that puts him right in the mid-30s of players being selected. So that's like toward the end of the third round in a fantasy draft could really be someone who goes from there and carries teams, given what we saw from him as a rookie and where he was being selected a year ago in fantasy drafts. You mentioned don't expect uh, um, Zach Ertz to be with this team. As of this recording, you and I sitting here on July 12th talking, he is still a member of the Eagles. So let's just talk about it straight up with Ertz, without Ertz. Dallas Goddard, I mean, he's the go-to guy at the tight end position for this team, correct? 
I would certainly expect that because, as I said, I'm, I'm not expecting Ertz, Ertz, Ertz to be here. If Ertz is with the Eagles, that complicates things quite a bit. But uh, just with with the way this is going, it certainly seems Dallas Goddard's going to be atop this team's a depth chart at at tight end and has the capability of being a top of the league tight end. I, I mean, you've seen it when he's filled in for Ertz in the past. You've seen it when he's been the second tight end in the offense. Uh, he's entering year four here. Uh, the playing time is going to go up. The target share is going to go up. I would expect big season, uh, a big season from Dallas Goddard. Receiving is going to be fun with this team. The receiver position, last year first-round pick Jalen Rager. This year first-round pick Devontae Smith. You see on the screen I wrote it out as Devontae Smith versus Jalen Rager. I don't think it's purely that, but how does this team balance these two receivers, what they bring to the table, and do you think there will be a true number one in terms of one guy having something along the lines of you know 125, 130 targets and the other one sitting more in the 100-target range? The Eagles would be fortunate if, if this is even a question, right? Because because that shows Jalen Rager has improved. I I think Devontae Smith will be the clear number one receiver on this team. Uh, when you look at the production at Alabama, when you look at the skill set, when you look at the investment that the Eagles made, uh, he's 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 different, and he's going to be the guy. He should be the guy. And if he's not the clear number one, if he doesn't have that clear target share uh, among the receivers on the roster. That's a problem for the Eagles. So I would expect Devontae Smith to be that player for them. And Jalen Rager, if he can show him improvement, if he can settle into that number two role, uh, he certainly has the explosiveness to be a factor. I think, he, and, and he said this, he's going to move into the slot more this year than he than he did last year when he was purely on the outside. And and the other thing last year too was, was injuries were a major factor. They were a factor before the season. They were a factor during the season. So if he can be healthy, that's another thing to watch too, uh, but but the Eagles have the makings of a young receiving core because when well, uh, of a good young receiving core I should say because if Smith slots in at the top and Rager's your number two guy and you saw in the month of October what Travis Fulgham can do, uh, mm-hmm. there are players there. So uh, I I would I'm very curious to see how how this shakes out, but I don't see this being a question. I see Devontae Smith being the guy. Very exciting uh, offense, perhaps, coming together there for the Eagles. Jalen Hurts, the guy who's got to put it all together. Uh, uh, Zach, you and I sitting here talking about two weeks out from the start of Eagles training camp. If there was just one thing that you could pick that you want to most be focused on for this team in training camp, what would that thing be? Well, from a fantasy perspective, I I would certainly say, how does Jalen Hurts look as, as the guy, right? As how is this offense built around Hurts? How is he functioning? How has he improved? From an Eagles perspective, uh, I would really say, who's your starting left tackle? Because that's a major question mark. I mentioned Jordan Maialata and Andre Dillard. And, and, and then if you're a fantasy player and you're looking at the wide receivers going against the Eagles, who's the number two cornerback? You know Darius Slay's the, the, the number one cornerback. It's wide open who that second corner is. So I'm fascinated to see who wins that job if the Eagles bring in someone from the outside to be the, the number two cornerback, because I'll, I'll say this. If, if you just look at their depth chart now, you should play wide receivers against the Eagles uh, because that's a major question, the number two corner. Always good to keep an eye on the defensive side of the ball, too, when we're talking fantasy football. One more question before we let you go here, Zach. BetMGM has the Eagles win over under. It's a, you know I'm going to change it a little bit on the fly here. You see it right there. Six and a half is the number. 
But over is minus 165 and under is plus 135. So you can go get that on BetMGM. Yeah. But that's not the most fun discussion for you and I to have here. So I'm just going to bump it to minus to, to a seven and a half. That would okay. probably somewhere sit around the minus 110 where we're talking about an even money bet. So seven and a half as a win over under for the Eagles. Which direction are you going? If you make it seven and a half, I, w- I would go under. I predicted them seven and 10 this year. Uh, I'm still getting used to the math, by the way, of saying seven and 10 as opposed <laughs> to isn't? seven and nine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think that uh, they're a, a six, seven win team. And if things break right, maybe they're an eight, 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 eight or nine win team. I, I don't think this is a, a three win team. I don't think this is a, a 12 win team, right? I, I think they're going to be middle of the pack and toward the bottom of the pack uh, in that group. So I would go under seven and a half. Um, but the six and a half, I, I think that's a really good number because uh, I would narrowly lean toward the over with the six and a half. But then when you see what that, 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 that plus 135, that compels you to go under a bit. Um, but when you make it seven and a half, I would definitely go under. Yeah, hard to pay the minus 165 juice on a win over under bet. So, well, you know, just have a little bit of fun, make it seven and a half. Philadelphia Eagles, I think, are going to be a pretty fun team in the fantasy world because of Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders and Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. We could be talking about real important players at all four of our traditional fantasy positions. So it'll be fun to watch, and we'll definitely be coming back to you, Zach, to talk about it. Zach Berman, our Eagles beat reporter here at The Athletic. Zach, thanks again for being with us on The Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. All right, we move right along on our NFC East preview here on The Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Welcome on Dan Duggan. Dan, of course, our New York Giants beat writer here at The Athletic. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Mike? I am doing well, man. This is an interesting team from a fantasy perspective. Of a lot of that from the pure interest, where is this going to go, has to do with the new look receiving core. But I want to start with the one player that we have to start with when we talk about this New York Giants team. Saquon Barkley, of course, being selected in the first half of uh, first rounds in fantasy drafts, as he should be over the last couple of weeks, if you look at ADP centered on that. He's going seventh overall in a typical draft, right with guys like Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry, pretty much exactly where we would expect him to be. But there also is some talk about the possibility of him taking it easy the first few weeks of the season because of last year's injury. A lot of that is just early summer speak and something that maybe we would expect. At what point would you be concerned about last year's injury affecting this year's workload? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, like I said, a lot of it's speculation at this point. I mean, we'll get in camp with a much better idea. I mean, does he open on the pup list? Does he open as 100% participant? Is he somewhere in between? You know, obviously, we don't know the definitive answers to those questions right now. Um, but I think as we, you know, we get into the preseason here, I don't think anyone expects to see him, you know, having 20 carries in any preseason games. Uh, I mean, even when he's healthy, I don't think he's really, you know, vlogged very many snaps in the preseason. But you want to see him at least practicing by like midweek, uh, mid training camp. You know, I, I think it's one thing to take him along slowly. But let's be let's recall he tore his ACL in week two last season. So if mm-hmm. there's any bright side to that is that he basically have a full year to recover by the time this year's opener rolls around. So um, you know obviously not everyone's Adrian Peterson, but most guys within a year are ready to come back. And again, maybe he's not the exact same guy in week one. Maybe they do bring him along slowly just because they're going to take a conservative approach. But uh, I would be concerned if he's not you know, at least healthy enough to be the guy, you know, that he spent his career playing, you know, 80, 90% of the snaps uh, week one. He might not do that right out of the gate, but uh, if there's any signs that they're they're taking him slow because his knee's not recovering during camp and, and getting close to the season, that would definitely be a concern because, again, 
uh, he's had a long time here to rehab and, and recover and work to, to get back to form. Yeah, always looking at opportunity cost when you're that early in a fantasy draft. So maybe if he is brought along that slowly, someone like Jonathan Taylor or Derrick Henry or Ezekiel Elliott becomes more interesting or more attractive by comparison. Uh, let's look at this receiver group here, Dan, because, you know, Kenny Galladay, now in town. Kadarius Toney, now in town. But Sterling Shepard's still here, and Darius Slayton's still here, and Evan Ingram's still here, and that's to say nothing of you know veterans like uh, like John Ross and Dante Pettis. So you're looking at just the fantasy relevant guys, really Galladay, Shepard, Slayton, and we can throw Evan Ingram in there too. And Slayton maybe is even a little bit of a stretch when we're talking about pure fantasy relevance. How do they make all the targets fit? Yeah, I mean it's going to be fascinating because, and obviously within that, you know Saquon's going to get his targets when he's mm-hmm. you know back and at 100. Even Kyle Rudolph is going to probably vulture. <laughs> he's going to be the guy who probably annoys fantasy guys because on a team with all those weapons, you know, he might have four or five touchdowns, and you know just because that's kind of been his calling card throughout his career. Um, I mean, I would think Galladay. You don't pay a guy 72 million dollars to be a decoy, to be a number two option. I mean, he's going to get the most targets. I'd be shocked if it doesn't work out that way, and it'd be you know kind of a bad investment if it doesn't work out that way. Uh, <laughs> And then I think the good news for the team, but maybe not from a fantasy perspective, is everyone else just kind of, you know, slots down uh, in the pecking order a little bit. You know, Evan Ingram was not, should not have been the number one targeted guy in an offense. Some of his limitations kind of got exposed last year. But as you run through his names, if he's your third, fourth, or fifth best option, um, you know, I think he's a guy who football-wise can be a good player. But, you know, tight ends of fantasy are tough to begin with. And that you could easily see games where Evan Ingram has like two catches for 14 yards and there definitely will be games where he probably breaks out because, you know, he does have talent. Uh, I think Shepard is probably sort of like what he'll, he's always been, just kind of Mr. Reliable. Um, I got fantasy wise, probably not a guy you're going to live and die with, but if you, you know, you're in a bye week or something, you need a guy who's going to get six, eight targets and, um, you know, have 60, 70 yards. I mean, I think his floor is pretty high. I think his ceiling is pretty low. Um, and the guy, you know, he didn't mention too much about is Tony is the ultimate wild card because, um, you know, he's a guy who certainly has the potential to take it to the house every time he touches the ball. We don't even know how much he's going to play because, you know, he kind of projects as a slot guy and they have Shepard there. And, uh, Tony's a bit of a project, you know, not really a refined route runner and just overall receiver. So is he going to be sort of a gimmicky guy, at least out of the gates? That's sort of my expectation unless he really – um, you know, shows a lot of strides in training camp. So he's sort of an, like, I just think there's a lot of guys who can kind of gum up the works here in that receiving core. I think, you know, Galladay and, and Saquon Barkley, are, you know, you feel good with, you know, taking them where they're probably slotted. Um, but those other guys, I think you'll see Slayton as a big game and then just quiet for three games and, and same with Engram and kind of go down the list. So it'll, it'll be tough probably to project who's um, kind of the hot hand to ride out of those supporting cast guys. Is there anything that going into training camp, and again, I'm talking to you the first week of July, so you've still got a couple of weeks before you get there and maybe a couple of things to learn before you even get there, but anything that just top of mind you're going to be looking for when this team opens up camp in a couple of weeks? Well, I mean, with, with Galladay, I mean, they certainly made a con- you know concerted effort to go get Jones, you know, number one receiver, and you see what Galladay does well. I mean, he's a big body guy who makes contested catches downfield, and uh, the Giants didn't have that last year. I mean, Slayton, you know, kind of tried to fill that role, but he's, he's obviously not in Kenny Galladay's class, at least not at this point. And even when you look at Jason Garrett, I mean, his offense was, was pretty frustrating uh, in year one. But when you look at what he did in Dallas, he was pretty good when he had like a bona fide number one guy outside, whether it was, you know, T.O., obviously Des Bryant for so many years, you know, even Amari Cooper the last couple of years. He knows how to get the ball downfield to those guys and, um, you know, Daniel Jones, that's one of those things, especially when you look at the analytics, he's, he's pretty good at getting the ball downfield. So that seems like a good marriage. So um, I think that's a part of this offense that 
Uh, that should need to become a bigger part of the offense. And when you go get a guy like Galladay, it makes sense that it will be that the deep passing game uh, will be more of a factor than it was last year. Kenny Galladay coming over from Detroit, so he has spent his entire NFL career with a guy in Matthew Stafford who has been always very good at getting the ball downfield. Uh, we've talked here for six minutes and 40 seconds. I personally have yet to say Daniel Jones' name. We're going to put an end to that right here. Uh, it was an ugly year for him, especially statistically. There's really no way around that in 2020. Less than 3,000 yards, 11 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 6.6 yards per attempt. Uh, in the fantasy world, he salvaged some of his value by what he did on the ground, and we would expect some of that to be there for him again this season. But obviously, if he and if this entire offense is going to be better for us as fantasy players this year, he's going to have to take a step forward throwing the football. How does he do that, and what does that look like? What does a Daniel Jones improved season this year look like statistically? <laughs> well, the easy answer is more than 11 touchdown passes. I mean, that's that's <laughs> yeah. kind of that's pretty rough when you're talking about you know 14 starts in today's NFL to only have 11 touchdown passes. And it's funny because I remember last year around this time he was sort of like a fantasy darling, like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like, don't sleep on Daniel Jones. And, you know, hopefully people didn't buy into that too much because he was a complete dud. Like, so I guess I was really thinking about that. The rushing probably did salvage him uh, a little bit. You know, even the, little bit the run where he fell down, you know, he probably got eight points for that ADR run against Philly. Um, but, no, I mean, he, he just – he has better weapons now. So, that I mean, the Giants are counting on that to make kind of all the difference in the world. So, I mean, if you're a fantasy owner, if you liked, you know, sort of his potential as rookie year, you can certainly look at uh, last season and just say, well, listen, who is he throwing to? You know, the, you know, Sterling Shepard was out of the lineup for a handful of games. Obviously, Saquon was out for pretty much the whole season. Uh, you know, Golden Tate is, you know, a shell of what he once was. So it wasn't a lot of uh, talent to work with. Now he has that. So, um, you know, I don't think he's going to have a Josh Allen type year three, which I think is sort of certainly the dream for any, you know, any quarterback now mm -hmm. who's had kind of two mediocre years. Everyone's going to say, oh, maybe he'll be the next Josh Allen. I think that was sort of uh, – lightning striking there but could he be like baker mayfield and, and just have a good solid year three and a more balanced offense i think that's reasonable so i mean he had about 24 touchdowns as a rookie at 11 as second year i mean you'd, you'd like to see much more in that, that mid-20s range and i think that's feasible when you talk about the weapons they have added yeah definitely kenny galladay gonna make a big difference there and if he does get up into that even just low to mid-20s range with what we expect him to do on the ground with a healthy saquon barkley at his back it feels like we could see at least someone who uh is talked about as a qb2 as a streaming quarterback something along those lines in the fantasy world one more question before we let you go here dan I'm gonna ask everyone this you're the first one uh people who are listening to this won't necessarily know this but you're the first one of these that we've done on our Typical summer roundtable going through all of our beat writers. Going to ask all of you for a little prediction on your team's win over under. Bet MGM has the Giants installed as an over under of seven. The over is minus 140. So a little bit of faith in the Giants getting to an eight win uh, season in their 17 games. If you had 100 bucks to put on that right now, are you going over seven or under seven? Oof, I mean, wouldn't, like maybe I can expense that hundred bucks. I don't do it with a, lot of, with a lot of conviction, but I think I'd take the over. I mean, I know we had to do a, a record prediction when the schedule came out, and I was uh, feeling optimistic that day, and I said nine and eight. Um, you know, again, that feels optimistic, but the schedule isn't you know too brutal. And I mean, listen, it better be nine and eight because they spent a ton of money. You know, Kenny Galladay, Dory Jackson, they locked up Leonard Williams. They, uh, you know, were pretty aggressive in the draft where. Obviously, they traded back, but but Kadarius Tony to me is kind of like a home run swing. They didn't just like play it safe and, and take you know an interior defensive lineman there. They went for a guy who you know has potential to be a game breaker. Um, you know, John Mara has very explicitly said 
that he's tired of losing. So when the owner says he's tired of losing, uh, you know, GMs tend to spend a little bit more and get a little more aggressive. Um, but no, I think that the pieces are sort of in place. I think Jones is certainly a question mark. You're going to learn a lot about him and the offensive line, which doesn't really impact fantasy, but in, in some ways is going to really impact fantasy because if, if they're not better, uh, all this other stuff we talked about will sort of be irrelevant because it can really undermine uh, all the skill position talent they have. But no, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic um, and, and think that the spending spree and another year with Joe Judge, another year for Jones uh, gets them over that 500 hump and, They'll be in the playoff hunt. I guess they were last year too, but a little more legitimately. I think you know <laughs> nine and eight, you know, keeps them in the mix in the NFC East, but I think it'll be uh, a pretty fun race, and I think you know a lot of teams are kind of closely grouped. Yeah, this is going to be a fun team to watch this summer because of Saquon coming back from injury, because of that crowded wide receiver core that has the newly minted wide receiver one, Kenny Galladay, at the top. We'll be watching. We know you will be watching as well. That's Dan Duggan, our Giants beat reporter. Dan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast Beat Writer Roundtable Edition. For all of our NFC East beat writers, John Machoda, Zach Berman, Ben Standick, and Dan Duggan, I'm Michael Beller. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you soon. 